The Truth News Network. When the fix is in, you know it. What you don't know is when the fix went in. A government built on corruption doesn't form out of thin air. It takes a long time to form, takes a long time to get here. And what you see is only 10% of it. Corruption is built on lies. And to see the depth, you need a lot of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to reveal that iceberg is Dan Newman. The Iceberg. Boy, we know there's a big one, at least one big one in the channel of uh, freedom and liberty in the United States of America. There are probably several others. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a brand new week. Wow, December is almost half over. It seems lately these months are flying by, measured by days, not weeks. Is that just because I'm getting older? Does time fly faster when you get older. I think there are still 365 days in every year, 24 hours a day. Oh, well, you know what they say in advertising and marketing, perception is reality. So I guess if you feel like time's passing much quicker, I guess maybe it is because that's your perception. So how was your weekend? Did you get off on a good foot for Christmas Isn't it amazing that this time of year seems to polarize people emotionally? I mean, on one hand, you've got people that pretty much everything's going okay in their lives. Most things in their lives are going good. Let's look down the the line of categories of importance, significant importance in all of our lives. We have our, our family. We have our friends. We have our health. We have our church, we have our education, we have immediate family members and extended family members. And so folks, if you're in those categories, if you're doing really, really well, and I'll consider really, really well, if you may be having a bit of a uh, trouble in one, maybe two of those, know this, you're an extremely blessed American. And I know there are people listening in this morning from other other countries. We're going to talk in just a little bit about one person who is behind bars in Colombia this morning that I spoke to while he was in prison yesterday afternoon. And he's going to be with us on our show live tomorrow morning. He's in prison not for committing a crime. He's been in prison for 350 days in Bogota, Colombia, His two sons have been in prison for almost the same length of time in Miami, Florida. That kind of stuff will ruin a Christmas holiday season, you can bet. These are good people, good Christian men, and they're being persecuted for their beliefs. And it all began in the United States. His being in Bogota, Colombia, this one, and having charges there and charges here, pending extradition back to the U.S., none of it is based on any criminality. It's based on politics. And guess what division of politics it's based on? Bureaucratic health care. Wow. This is going to blow your mind when we get into it. We'll have him on live tomorrow morning. Later in the show today, we'll tell you more about what it is, what it involves and what is happening. And I guarantee you, 
it's a very important thing we're going to be visiting about that you need to hang around for. And certainly set your clocks for 9.30 tomorrow morning, Central Time, because that's when he's going to be here with us. What do we, what do we have today? We cannot start this show without looking up to the east of Shreveport, Louisiana, to all our friends that just went through it, an unforgettable, unexplainable weather event over the weekend that I don't remember in my lifetime I've seen anything this serious in one time concentrated in one section of our country. If you didn't pay attention to the news, you didn't hear that a series of tornadoes tore, literally tore a path of destruction across central and southern parts of the U.S. over the last two days, and that plethora of tornadoes, I don't even know if they know how many there are, left dozens dead. A couple of governors up in Tennessee and Kentucky are even predicting 100 dead and communities grieving in their wake. Straight-line winds, tornadoes, flooding, rock Kentucky, and other parts of the Midwest late Friday into early Saturday morning where dozens today, Monday, two days later, are still missing. One twister alone could mark the longest on record as the storm front upended a candle factory, crushed a nursing home, and flattened an Amazon distribution center. I pray that there will be another rescue. I pray that there will be another one or two. That's Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir, As crews sifted through the wreckage of the candle factory in Mayfield, Kentucky. If you've not seen the video of the pictures of Mayfield, folks, it looks like a nuclear bomb location. 110 people were working overnight Friday when the storm hit. 40 were rescued. That's out of that Amazon building. We had to at times crawl over casualties to get live victims, said Jeremy Creason, the city's fire chief and EMS director. In the state of Kentucky alone, folks, 22 were confirmed dead by late Saturday, including 11 and around in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And the death count continues to go up. But Bashir estimated upwards of 70 may have been killed in that one twister that touched down for more than 200 miles in his state. And the number of deaths could eventually go across the 100 mark. And that stretches across 10 or more counties. That's one state alone. The longest tornado on record was way back in 1925, the month of March then. It tracked for about 220 miles through the states of Missouri, Illinois, and into Indiana. But the twister may have touched down for nearly 250 miles. This one. The storm was all the more remarkable because it came in Christmas month when normally colder weather kind of stops tornadoes. On Saturday, President Biden was questioned about the rolling disaster and lamented the world's failure to stop global warming as a cause. Can you believe our president did that? Couldn't waste an opportunity to politicize something, and he actually, with no scientific basis, there is none, folks. I'm not going to get into the climate change stuff here today, but there is no proof at all that anything in climate, in our climate, can be manipulated by anything that we do. 
Someday we're going to get in an ad nauseum conversation here, a factual scientific conversation about global warming, uh, about another ice age, which they predicted back in the 80s and 90s. Global warming, they, they had to change the terminology because global warming wasn't happening, and so now they just bulk it all into climate change, which gives it an easy term to manipulate and use in weather situations that there's no logical explanation for other than Mother Nature and the world, the world's environment is just going to dispel its, uh, its power and strength occasionally and always has. Biden, after he made his political speech in this horror show, approved an emergency disaster declaration for Kentucky and pledged to support the other affected states. He said, I promise you, whatever is needed, whatever is needed, the federal government is going to find a way to provide it. That tornado outbreak caused a wide range of damage, even in Texas, all the way up to Indiana, affecting some 16 million people in nine different states. It was blamed the storm for widespread power outages Saturday. By late afternoon, 56,000 homes and businesses remained without power in Tennessee, 78,000 in Kentucky, another 65,000 in Ohio. This is a bad deal. This is one of the worst I've ever seen. I can't remember another one like this. Now, living in Louisiana, we know all about tornadoes. We know a lot about hurricanes. We know a lot about storms in our state. And as much as you think you can prepare for what might be and probably is coming, folks, when you're in the path of a storm, either hurricane or a tornado, direct path, I'm talking about hit you head on. It doesn't matter how much preparation you've done. It shocks you what nature's strength and power has and what nature can do when one of these storms is created and comes our way. We pray today, and we prayed through the weekend for all of our friends, because we have friends in Kentucky, in Tennessee, in Missouri, in Indiana, even northeast Arkansas. And we hope everyone's going to be okay while we know everybody's not going to be okay. And there are family members that are lost, can't be found. Homes, businesses, not just damage to them, folks. Flattened. There's nothing left there. I saw a story this morning on one news outlet, a picture. Looked like a souvenir picture of a family member. Was found 150 miles away from the source where it originated. One person in that city recognized the last name that was scribbled on the back of that picture, made a phone call and found out it had originated in this tornado 150 plus miles away. That's how powerful these things can get. but the politocrats could not wait to blame it on something. Joe Biden, the president, was the one that used the C word when he signed on to talk about the devastation in the Midwest, climate change. His doing that, folks, is unconscionable. What else are we going to get into? 
We're going to take a quick first break because when we come back, we're going to dig in and we're going to grade the president, Joe Biden, in his actions, his success and failures across the board in his first 327 days as president. Today marks his 327th day to be president of the United States. We're going to grade him. I mean, letter grades in pretty much every area, strategic area of his or any other administration, looking specifically at how Biden has handled his administration and being president of the people for 327 days. Don't go anywhere. We'll get into that right after this. At Sternberger, our cars are more than just hunks of metal that take you from point A to point B. They are also composed of industrial plastics, polymers, and rubbers. We also know it's what in the car that is more important than the car itself. And that's why it can also carry up to 300 kilograms of human, animal, or consumer goods cargo. The climate control device brings the air temperature to 22 degrees Celsius. It's our way of making our cars comfortable for the majority of mammal species. In fact, it is a perfect vessel for transport from short to medium distances, and we believe that the price we are asking is a fair trade for the value transfer to the consumer. Sternberger. More than just an auto. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. It's hard to hear the truth, but if the truth will set us free, we'd rather enjoy freedom. TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. So how bad have things been for you in the Biden administration, or how good have they been for you? Hopefully, you weigh in on the plus side of all of that instead of the negative side. If you do, folks, um... You're one of the few. I'm just saying, it is not good from the 10,000-foot level or the ground level for most Americans under the Biden administration. So what are we going to do this morning? How are we going to grade him? I mean, he hasn't been in office that long, less than a year, 327 days to be exact. I bet you've never seen a story about any president's first 327 days in office. And... 
why didn't we go ahead and do it rather than wait till the end of the year? Well, I waited a while to grade his presidency, but there are so many things, so many moving parts, and so many bad things that are happening. I thought it would take a bit to catch up and just stop right now today and put a meter on what he's done and what he hasn't done. Because between now and the first of the year, you can book it. There are a bunch of other moving parts that are going to fall in place. And so we'll do this again after the first of the year. We're only going to look at the really big issues right now today, most of which he referenced during his campaign, made promises about, and we're going to look at where the nation is today compared to January 20th when he took his oath of office and moved into the White House. So for our grading, our uh, test today, we're going to use these categories, COVID-19, our economy, criminality, our U.S. foreign policy, and unity among Americans. And we could spend hours talking about each of these as they pertain to Joe Biden in his first 320 days. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do today is address some of the highlights of the failures and the successes by this president in each of those five areas. Some of his failures have never been seen before in any other administration. I mean, they literally are epic and historical. So when we finish this, you're certainly going to want to dig deeper, get the details of what the Biden administration is up to. So let's get started. We're not going to belabor this and carry it out because much of this you know, I just don't feel like many people have already kind of come up with a grade. While he was campaigning for president, his keynote promise to us all was he was going to, if we elected him, kill COVID-19, his terms. Apparently, Mr. Biden felt he could grab all those millions of Pfizer BioNTech vaccines that were developed during the Trump administration, by the way and then distribute them all around the U.S. And presto, COVID-19 dies. Well, that didn't happen. Now, Biden did have the vaccines. And in September of 2020, when Donald Trump was president, we here published an elaborate and in written format COVID-19 vaccine distribution plan developed under Trump, a combination of private and military sources for distribution of all these vaccines. It included the private sector and the military. Quick and thorough vaccine distribution was set to be handled seamlessly before the election. Of course, later, when it appeared in the Biden administration that the vaccines were not working as advertised, and people continued to test positive for the virus in great numbers, even people that had already been vaccinated once and twice. When all this news began to come out, Biden and Vice President Harris, they blamed the problem on Trump. Harris actually said this, there was no plan in place to distribute the vaccines when we took office. They didn't hand us a a handbook that we could use to jumpstart tackling the pandemic. And as we told you, that was a proven lie. Trump had sent Dr. Fauci to the back row, remember? Remember at the beginning of the, even before the pandemic began, Fauci was front and center every day in those White House COVID-19 task force briefings. 
And as his messaging began to ring hollower every day, his predictions and instructions failed. It got worse. Trump didn't make a huge deal about that because he didn't want to hack everybody off that are his political opponents. He didn't want to scare the American people, but he, he moved Dr. Fauci a little further back in the pecking order on television. So what did Fauci tell us, remember? Wear a mask, social distance, then double mask, then triple down, then lockdowns. We're going to stay inside for 30 days and we'll have kicked this thing. We'll have herd immunity, he said. Fauci's not ever one time said he made a mistake. Maybe that he miscalculated. He's never admitted to that. He needs to revise the processes maybe or what I told you didn't work. We missed the mark. Nope. He just gladly jumped out there each and every time and told us to double down on his previous instructions. On Biden and Fauci's watch, more people through the first of this month have died during the Biden administration than did the entirety of 2020 under Trump. And don't forget, folks, Trump didn't have any of those cure-all vaccines yet. Instead of continuing with the blather of the CDC, the FDA, Fauci, and Biden about handling COVID-19, let's just leave it here. We know nothing more today than we did the day Biden took office about stopping COVID-19. And the very same players, with the exception of Donald Trump, are still calling all the shots. So, That's COVID-19. Let's move on. What about our economy? All the mainstream media outlets continued to applaud the president for his tremendous leadership in our, quote-unquote, historical economic recovery. How in the world could anyone make such a claim with a straight face? It's far beyond human understanding. Our economy was roaring the day of the 2020 election. By the time... Biden took office on January 20th. Americans and American corporations were breathing heavily because they knew gloom and doom was going to come because Joe Biden, supposedly a moderate, came to town and he was going to turn hard left. That was the fear. Biden took the reins of the government. And he's ridden a really good horse, folks, called the American economy into the dirt in less than a year. Inflation is almost beyond comprehension. And it's today at levels we haven't seen here in the U.S. since Jimmy Carter was president. I remember personally when prime lending rate was at 21%. While President Biden claims it is indisputable that his jobs plan is working, it's unequivocal. The statistics prove It's not working, at least not for American workers. Rather, inflation is surging in every area. More than wiping out any wage gains these workers might have experienced, and there have been pay raises, but nothing even remotely close enough to offset inflation. Biden's Build Back Better bill, already passed by the House, 
It's languishing in the Senate today, purportedly would save the entire United States and every American financially. That's what we're told. The reality is something else. That's according to the Congressional Budget Office. It would do little but steal most of the power in every area of our lives that the federal government does not already own. And if it's passed, we must accept that those in D.C. are far more enlightened on how to run the finances of the biggest economy on earth than are we. They've really been showing us a good job of doing that, haven't they? Most Americans get stuck on this one. Quote, No one who makes less than $400,000 a year will see their income taxes go up one penny. Joe Biden. So how does a government spend at least $2 trillion in extra spending without raising taxes on any Americans that make less than $400,000 a year? There's only one way to do it. they got to get it from big corporations and filthy rich Americans. You know, those evil corporations and the filthy rich who make billions and don't pay a single dime in taxes. That's a talking point. It's not factual, folks. I'm not an economist. I do understand economics to some degree. I owned a multi-million dollar corporation for 20 plus years. I saw millions of dollars go through that company each and every year. I was a CEO, and my job was one overarching thing. Make certain at the end of each year, we had made more money than we spent. (laughs) That's a novel idea, right? (laughs) Fortunately, we were able to do that. How? Well, we budgeted. We cost cut. We increased profits by adding new revenue sources And we watched our overall spending. We made those decisions. Does that sound like anything the federal government is doing right now? Or will ever do, even if they have the skills to do it? There's no way that could possibly even be conceived. You see, they're spending money that they term as our money. Most of those elected and unelected bureaucrats in D.C. refuse to accept the fact that the money government spends, 100% of it, belongs to the American people. And it's been confiscated from us through taxes. And because those government officials pay just a tiny snippet of those U.S. tax dollars themselves, like every other citizen, they have no comprehension of spending wisely. And guess what? They don't spend it wisely. Biden reinserted his fiduciary knowledge attained while he served in the U.S. Senate for about 100 years or so. Well, just half that. That fiduciary knowledge was nothing more than the spending program we talked about above. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Congress and the president, for that matter, any Congress and any president, not just these, It would be wonderful if they ever created a budget and stuck to that budget on spending. When's the last time that happened? A balanced budget in the federal government. I mean a real balanced budget. I can't even remember if or when it ever happened. Let's move on. What about crime in the nation? I could bore you with dozens of charts and mounds of statistics of the rampant crime across the country. Simply stated, 
crime on a national level has spiraled out of control. The insanity in law enforcement is a byproduct of a far-left push by globalists in our government and globalists from outside the government who are the authors of the defund the police mantra. George Soros, billionaire globalist from Hungary, has quietly funded the campaigns of district attorney spots across the nation, supported far-left candidates who all espouse the move to decriminalize lawlessness. Isn't that an oxymoron? Decriminalize lawlessness. Lawlessness is criminality. The George Floyd killing, subsequent uproar in Minneapolis, launched a new campaign across the nation to demonize the police while fueling the hatred from groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa for law enforcement. Subsequently, crime statistics have soared. Rioting and looting have been normalized in our major cities. Criminal acts of all kinds are soaring in great numbers and intensity. Twelve of the nation's top cities this past year recorded violent crime in numbers not seen since the FBI started to keep violent crime statistics. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to dig into the detail coming out of those 12 states. Meanwhile, there's another criminality log thrown on the U.S. fire by Biden. It's his unconstitutional lawlessness that occurs every day. And what it is is massive numbers coming across our southern border illegally and are getting a free pass when they do it. Already this year, 2 million have flooded across the border that we know of. Our Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, he boldly ignores federal immigration laws, not only allows those illegals to cross over in massive numbers, he facilitates and encourages them to come over. Once they get here, taxpayers, you and me, we actually pay them cash while DHS enrolls them in what has become a sort of safe haven security blanket for them Inside that blanket, housing, medical care, education, even money for food and clothing, all of it we pay for. Mayorkas instructed Customs and Border Patrol to ignore the laws regarding deportation of illegals and to just facilitate them finding permanent places to live across the nation. So what about criminality? We don't have any numbers from all across the nation regarding crimes committed by the illegals during the last year. But we have some numbers from Texas. Now remember this, Texas has struggled with illegal immigration for years. It didn't just start there. In Texas alone, during the two years of 2016 and 2017, 600,000 Felony criminal acts were committed by illegal aliens against Texans. 600,000. And the crimes they committed ranging, ranged from um, breaking and entering all the way up to first-degree murder. Regarding criminal justice, there's no end in sight as Biden continues to ignore the very same laws he swore to uphold in his oath of office January 20th this year. 
And then there's U.S. foreign policy. While he was campaigning, remember, Biden assured all of us the number one ability he was bringing to the White House was his massive foreign policy expertise that he garnered during his lengthy stand in the U.S. Senate. That claim is 180 degrees from what Americans and world leaders have experienced out of this guy. Former CIA director and U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert Gates, you remember him? Years ago, he described Joe Biden's considerable years of government service and his subsequent foreign policy accomplishments by terming it this way, quote, every foreign policy decision Joe Biden has made while in the U.S. government has been wrong every time. That's not much of a recognition of anyone's accomplishments. Since he took office, we've watched Biden attempt again and again to find some shred of affirmation of his foreign policy from world leaders overseas. Honestly, he's been unsuccessful in every such attempt. Why is that? Well, he's hacked off many of our allies. His dismal and fatal withdrawal from Afghanistan reminded many of his failed withdrawals that many have forgotten about from Iraq. Obama installed Joe, if you remember, as the point man for getting our troops out of Iraq. And so Joe did. He started the process. Well, it was so full of poor results the removal, the withdrawal out of Iraq that was orchestrated by Joe Biden, we had to go back in. And we had to redo what was done previously. And in that reinsertion, numerous Iraqis and Americans died because of the shoddy management by Biden and others in the Obama administration. And just recently, Americans died as did Afghan citizens because of the untimely, unplanned, and poorly initiated withdrawal from Afghanistan in September. Our nation partners watched in horror as our actions, those of the Biden administration, put their people, our foreign partners people that were in Afghanistan, put their workers and citizens in Afghanistan in harm's way. France, they stepped in for themselves. They were so concerned, they initiated a clandestine operation and say more than a hundred of their own citizens because they were afraid Biden's plans would let their people get killed. Even today, folks, there are an unknown number of Americans who the Biden military left behind in Afghanistan. And since then, they've been forced to fend for themselves, hopefully find ways to get out of the country safely. Let's all try to forget that Biden left the Taliban $82 billion worth of U.S. military hardware that should have either been withdrawn with our troops or destroyed. Very few foreign leaders trust this president. That's a fact. There are a few who lean his way, leaders of countries like Iran, China, Russia, and Turkey. (laughs) The list runs out after that. And then finally about this president and what he promised, unity. I want to be president of all Americans, not just Democrats, but Democrats, independents, and Republicans. That appears to have been little more than a campaign talking point. Very little, if anything, 
has occurred on Biden's watch that shows even a remote attempt to unify the American people. Every area of governing he has attempted shows the exact opposite as his person, purpose. Division. Divisiveness. Let's face it. No leader in any country can unify that nation's populace without leadership that promotes the recognition and the acceptance by all of the differences in other people. In fact, Biden actually points out those differences and attacks his political opponents for not just benignly accepting his ideals while ditching their own. So forget about reaching a consensus. As Obama said, elections have consequences, even those with tainted election results. Remember his campaign mantra? I'm a moderate Democrat, he said. My political philosophy embraces Republicans and independents and Democrats. I've always worked to find commonalities among all people and work to find consensus. We must get along by recognizing and accepting each other's differences while drawing on our own commonalities. That's the only way to unity. So what has Joe done in the way of unity? Well, he quickly embraced the Democrat Party's far-left radicals led by AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Rep. Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and now newly elected Representative Cori Bush, Democrat from Missouri. In fact, this president has endeavored to make the hyper-left and Marxist climate change utopian Green New Deal his own and is agreeing to often with Senator Bernie Sanders, a self-acclaimed socialist and a hard leftist. Honestly, I don't think Joe Biden would recognize real unity even if it jumped up, bit him on the butt and said, I'm unity. Hello, Mr. President. Things just aren't looking too good for Americans today. Folks, there are even more mud puddles that we need to dry up that aren't even mentioned above. Honestly, I can't reveal a single important area in which Joe Biden has notched even a marginal success. He tells us he's been remarkably successful. He fixed our supply chain issue, kicked COVID's butt. He created more new jobs than has any other president in modern history. He wants us to forget that every job that has come online during his presidency was simply one that the COVID-19 Fauci-instigated lockdown eliminated in the first place. They're not new jobs. What he's doing is simply repeating the fundamental operating methodology of the Obama administration. What is it? Take credit for everything initiated and implemented by their predecessor that worked while blaming that same predecessor for every one of the problems during the Obama administration. But they don't stop there. Obama himself, with Joe in tow, took credit for the rampant uptick in U.S. employment numbers and gross domestic product increases in the early part of the Trump administration. So let's finish this by grading President Biden's achievements in each area above. 
Honest is the word. I'm going to be honest in grading. I thought it through. For COVID-19, I gave Joe Biden a D minus. On the economy, an F. On crime and crime prevention, an F. On U.S. foreign policy, an F. And on unity, F minus. Now, the only reason he didn't get an F for COVID-19 is that President Trump created the COVID-19 treatment infrastructure before Joe even took office. Can you imagine the COVID-19 vaccine nightmare that we would have had if Joe Biden had been the one that planned everything, made every process and implemented every process just to get the vaccines out? So do you think he can get better? Do you think Joe can get better on the job? I mean, he hadn't even been in office a year. Folks, the book's still out here on whether he can make it this four years. I'm not sure he'll finish the first four years of his presidency. And wouldn't life be really wonderful under the amazing guidance of a president, Kamala Harris? That's the alternative right now, folks. If anything happens to Joe Biden, who steps up? As always, the vice president of the United States. I personally don't want to deal with that. I don't want that to happen, and I'm sure you don't. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern You know, there's one big, big, common, commonly used measure of criminality. It's how big cities do at handling their crime, especially violent crime. Did you know that at least 12 of our major cities across the nation have set annual murder records 
in 2021, even as there are still a couple of weeks left to go in the year. Philadelphia, one of the largest cities in the U.S., saw 525 murders this year so far. That's higher than the previous record of 500 back in 1990. With a population of nearly 1.579 million, the data that's in suggests Philly's homicide rate is about 33 murders per 100,000 people, or more than four times higher than the U.S. US-wide homicide rate of 7.8 per 100,000 people this year. It's terrible to every morning get up and have to go look at the numbers, then look at the news and see the stories. It's just crazy, and this needs to stop. That's Philly Mayor Jim Kinney, who's a Democrat, by the way. Other large cities have broke their previous homicide records this year already. Portland, Austin, St. Paul, Indianapolis, Louisville, Albuquerque, Columbus, Ohio, Tucson, Arizona, and even Rochester, New York. Indianapolis, I lived there for two years. Great city. Crime was non-existent. At least 246 murders this year. Rochester, 71 murders. Columbus, 179. Even in my state, Baton Rouge, the capital city, 137 murders. Portland, 79. Albuquerque, 97. Tucson, 81. Louisville, 175. St. Paul, Minnesota, 35. And Toledo, Ohio, 62 murders. That's a record number in every one of those cities. Notably, Portland, Rochester, Louisville, and St. Paul experienced numerous days of protests and riots that started back in May last year after the officer-involved death of George Floyd, which sparked nationwide protesting and violence. Protesters and rioters took to the streets in St. Paul, which is right next to Minneapolis, following Floyd's death at the hands of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Meanwhile, weeks of riots and protests had erupted in Louisville after the death of Breonna Taylor. In Portland, left-wing agitators partook in riots and protests for more than a hundred consecutive days last year. Antifa. In Rochester, riots after the officer-involved death of Daniel Prude, a black man who was later confirmed to be under the influence of disassociative hallucinogenic drug PCP, reportedly partially naked, smashing storefronts during cold and snowy weather on March 30th last year. The community is, they've got to get fed up, Captain Frank Umbrino of the Rochester Police Department said. We're frustrated. It has to stop. I mean, it's worse than a war zone around here lately. As it has in the past, I guess the star in the murder capital of the nation is Chicago. Chicago currently leads the U.S. with more than 730 homicides. That's just through the end of November. Coming in, at least nine murders were reported during an outburst of shootings across the Windy City over the past weekend. The most deadly year on record was back in 1974 when Chicago experienced 974 homicides. Nationally, homicides rose by about 30% last year. 
compared to the prior year. That was the largest one-year spike since the FBI started keeping records. Some of the criminologists around the nation have blamed the spike in murder rates on lax bail laws, political and racial conflicts following the George Floyd riots and protests, and large numbers of officers retiring or quitting and pandemic-related panic. In other words, folks, I know some cops. I know some people that have given their lives. I know some people that wanted their entire lives to get into law enforcement. And they followed that path and they did just that, that today want nothing to do with the job. First of all, because the people you work for, of course you work for elected bureaucrats. They're going to look after themselves. And if the people in a city, if the far left, who typically have the loudest voices on pretty much every controversial subject, and folks, since George Floyd's murder in 2020, it just has ramped up a notch every couple of days. And just when we think they get to a level that it's got to stop, it gets worse. And it's spread across the nation. And let me ask you this. Here's the big question we all need to be asking, and we need to find the answer to it. And I don't have it. Are we going to be able to control this? Are we going to be able to make the hard decisions, the hard choices, to come back to center on this thing, to come back to the template of taking care of criminality? And what is the template? The United States Constitution. What's in the Constitution about this? Very simple. Each of the 50 states and any additional states, if we have any more ever, have the full authority and have the mandate to take care of law enforcement in their own states, within their own towns and cities, and then on the global level, the federal laws that are passed by the one lawmaking uh, lawmaking entity in the federal government, the United States Congress, signed into law by whoever sits in the Oval Office at that time, and becomes federal law from the Department of Justice and the agencies in the department, beginning with the FBI, enforce those laws. Criminality is not going to stop if we just simply pray about it. I believe God can do anything. But God instructed all of us to raise up leaders in government. He did. He raised up leaders in governing his children in the nation of Israel. He picked kings all the time and brought them in to lead lead the nation, lead those people. His plan is for that. But what has to happen once people get in leadership, they've got to do what the law says they must do in enforcing those laws. That's job one. That's job 25, job 50, job 100 of however many jobs they have, the most important thing any elected individual has is to protect the people who elected them. We could sit here all day and talk about who in the Department of Justice is failing, who in the state divisions of law enforcement are failing, which police chief, which state's attorney generals are failing, But folks, it's pretty easy to figure it out. Just look at the crime. 
Look at the statistics published by the FBI. We just gave you some. Those states, those cities are not doing the job they were elected to do. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You got a problem of any kind at your house? Well, you might change your attitude, but that problem's not going to change unless you change the things that make that problem get created and continue to exist. If those factors are left alone and they're still there, nothing's going to change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So did you hear the, the specific stuff that the president did and said about the tornadoes down in Kentucky and Tennessee? He immediately took the opportunity, the really poor spot, the poorest spot he could ever find to get into politics. The devastating Kentucky tornado is the result of a warmer client, which is making storms more frequent. That not only is a talking point of this president, but it's been the talking point of the climate crazy nuts forever and ever and ever. History does not verify that, folks. Facts, facts from the National Weather Service say exactly the opposite. Did you know when they began keeping climate information, the National Weather Service, back in the middle part of last century, did you know the first 50 years that they collected and have to this day climate records about storms of all kinds, floods, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, mudslides, you name it. They kept the statistics. There were more, almost twice as many deadly hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes in the first 50 years than there were in the second 50 years. So if you use their logic that these tornadoes that ripped through the Midwest are the result of a warmer climate, if that's the case, then what happened back in those first 50 years? Because science will tell you we tick up a little bit every year in warmer weather, top to bottom across the world. It's not a great increase every year. In fact, if you if you look at the ultimate goal of the climate fanatics, they want by the end of this century to have the world's average temperature drop a half of one degree. They would consider that a tremendous success. Facts matter, folks. Did they, the warmer climate, climate, did that is what caused the Kentucky tornadoes? That's a question that's unanswered. Scientists don't actually know if there is even a correlation between storms and a warmer climate. Many have made that claim. No science has concluded. That's a fact. Biden could have let any tragedy go by, even one of the worst tornadoes in living memory. He had to weaponize that political talking point for the left's favorite cause, climate change. With survivors still desperate for rescue, trying to find bodies with a prayer that maybe a loved one is still alive under the rubble. A journalist asked Biden whether the Kentucky storm was a result of climate change. Of course, he jumped right in. 
He said while he did not know about this particular storm, he would ask the Environmental Protection Agency and investigate. I'm going to be asking the EPA and others to take a look at that, he said. The fact is we all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming. Everything. And obviously it has some impact here, but I can't give you a quantitative read on that. The problem is, folks, that storms have not become more intense due to climate change. The evidence is inconclusive. As former Biden administration official, a guy named Stephen Coonan wrote in his recent book on climate change, Unsettled, What Climate Science Tells Us, What It Doesn't, and Why It Matters, hurricanes and tornadoes show no changes attributable attributable to human influence, and that the best we can say is that, if anything, U.S. tornadoes have become more benign as the globe has warmed over the past 75 years, and we have no credible method for projecting future changes. Interesting. These are facts. (laughs) Facts. And they just messed up the political narrative of the climate change Fanatics led by Al Gore. I I don't even know if he's still the leader. Isn't he too old to lead a cause today? Wow. You know, we're right at the end of the first hour. And it seems like we just get started. Every day we bring these topics up that are critical. And we get new bits of information, statistics, numbers, truths. And they're important to bring to you, but it's on, on the, the same, seems like the same topics every day. When you have these horrible tornadoes that rip across the beltway of the United States mid, middle, you got to cover it because it is important. We understand how much trouble our fellow Americans have gotten into at no fault of their own. But it does no good to beat up on people over and over and over unless we look at the end of the process and we see that there may be some way we can, as we talk, as we speak to each other, we talk about, we look at facts, we look at statistics, we look at budget, we look at dollars, and we look at the things that we learn ourselves, the truths, the nuggets that we dig out, often don't align with what we're being told by the leaders in our government today. And that's not how this government is supposed to operate. And I guess the biggest conundrum we face in that very thing is dealing with COVID-19. Here we are, folks. We're 11 months into our pandemic, our world, our understanding, or even knowing anything about COVID-19 and what it could and and probably has done in large over the last 11 months. Beginning of January, we didn't have a clue. Didn't know anything about it. Look where we are today. They tell us 600,000 Americans have died. We all know, and the CDC admit, that a number of those people did not die from COVID-19, but complications that occurred because of pre-existing conditions in most of those people. 
In fact, the real number as COVID-19 being the official cause of death probably is less than half of that. But even if it is, folks, 300,000 Americans have died that probably wouldn't have died if it had not been for COVID-19. And so Biden's policies, his employment policies, his lockdown policies, the tremendous amount of U.S. government money that has gone to people across the nation over the last year have watched our workforce diminish nationally in percentages that we've not seen previously. People don't want to go back to work. And so what does that mean? Folks, there are some industries in which shortages of workers can be overcome. Now, it may and always is a difficult process to get done. And it may never come back in numbers, the workforce, in percentages and numbers that we hope that it will. But it should be, and we should be able to get people back. So think of the sectors in your life your economic life, your social life. Think about what that would look like if uh, they were unable to get workers, especially skilled workers in whatever field they're in. In the middle of all of this, we found out over the weekend at least four states have called in members of their national guards. Why? Listen to this. To deal with health care staffing. Problems amid COVID-19 vaccine mandates for hospital and nursing home workers. They're not being vaccinated, folks. They're not listening to the bureaucratic blather that spews out of the mouths of every far-left member of the United States Congress and member of the Democrat Party. Late last week, Indiana became the latest such state to deploy their National Guard to hospitals. They confirmed to local media that guard members were sent to 13 hospitals after officials with Indiana University Health, the state's largest hospital system, made that request. Indiana University officials said it's dealing with all-time highs of both COVID-19 and non-COVID-19 patients. Earlier this year, about 125 Indiana University healthcare workers were fired why? They didn't comply with the system's vaccine mandate. Although, the hospital said at the time the most fired workers were part-time. As COVID cases continue to rise, hospitalization of COVID and non-COVID patients reach all-time highs, the demand and strain on IU Health's team members, nurses, and providers has never been greater. That's from Indiana University Health. They released that over the weekend, adding it will leverage all available sources and enlist members of Indiana's National Guard in conjunction with the Indiana Department of Health to assist in areas of critical need. Six-person National Guard teams with both clinical and non-clinical members will be sent to Indiana University hospitals in two-week intervals. Up in New Hampshire, It's confirmed several days ago about 70 National Guard members are going to be deployed within the coming weeks to provide non-clinical support at medical care facilities there. That deployment is going to start December 12th or 13th. If unfortunately during the winter months the hospitalization rates continue to increase, we'll be more than happy to provide additional resources, they said. 
just across the border in Maine. Democrat Governor Janet Mills said over the weekend she activated about 75 additional Guard members. They're going to also be used to provide non-clinical support to healthcare facilities. Coming months after the state issued their vaccine mandate for health workers that several courts refused to block. Their largest hospital in the state, Maine Medical Center, has had no critical care beds available during the past week. Not one. In New York, brand new Governor Kathy Hochul, also a Democrat, announced the state's National Guard would conduct a similar mission at state hospitals in New York. It's all because of these egregious lockdown, nastiness, demands, telling us one thing and then only to find out sometimes days, sometimes even hours before we find out what the experts have told us is not true. And you know what's happening? You know what's rising across our nation? More and more and more. People are finding out that the COVID treatments almost from top to bottom that have been shoved down our throats by the so-called experts, number one, aren't effective. Number two, are not legitimate. And many of those come from the hospital protocols. Folks, if you check into an emergency room and you have symptoms that may be COVID-like, and if in the emergency room, you are diagnosed with COVID-19. They're going to do everything within their power to keep you in the hospital, to get you enrolled, get you a bed in that hospital to keep you there. And then the protocol kicks in. What are the hospital protocols? In every hospital in the nation, every single one, they have a list of protocols when somebody is officially diagnosed as this. Here's what their healthcare professionals are going to do regarding the type of healthcare, any if any medication, treatment of any kind. It's based on a protocol. And if this doesn't work, there's a daisy chain in the protocol that shows what you should do and have done next. Right on down the line. The protocol in every hospital in America, when COVID-19 is the official cause of that person being in the hospital, remdesivir, intravenous remdesivir is going to be part of the protocol. What if you don't want remdesivir? Can they force you to take it? Well, they can't force it, but what has been happening in large part in hospitals all around the nation, when somebody says, we want you to do this, and not use remdesivir, they'll say absolutely no. They won't do it. We told you the story here about the case up in New York where an Asian girl up there, father came over from China to visit her. He got COVID-19, checked into a Chicago hospital. He really deteriorated uh, quickly, went on a respirator. They wanted somebody to give, she did, her father, Ivermectin, as a treatment, when everything that hospital could do, they said, had been completed and they were just waiting for him to die. She said she wanted them to give him Ivermectin. They refused. They wouldn't do it. She said, I want him on Ivermectin. They said, not here. It's not going to happen. She went to court. 
She filed the case in emergency hearing. The hospital went and gave their story to the judge. The judge says, let them bring in a professional to give this patient ivermectin. That was the order from the court. The hospital refused. They went back to court. The judge slapped the hospital and said, you let the doctor that this patient's daughter wants to come in to give him ivermectin. You let him come in. The hospital refused the judge again, saying that doctor did not have a license, a commitment, an agreement with that hospital to even come into the hospital to give treatment. Once again, the judge says, dang it, let it happen. And so they let it happen. 72 hours later, the man got up and walked out of the hospital. Be careful, folks. If something like that happens to you, get your personal physician on the phone with a hospice and find a hospice that will get outside the normal hospital protocol, move your loved one into that hospice, and get them treated the way that is going to help them. Call on professionals. I'm not telling you to wing it. If you're not a doctor, don't try it. But in every city, you can find them. There are doctors that understand what's going on within the protocols of healthcare today regarding COVID-19. They're in large part fueling the statistics of people who are dying with COVID-19. Yes, that's a fact. It's not a conspiracy. You know what's happening overseas? We told you, I guess, week before last about Austria. They locked down... I mean, lock down their people in Austria. They ended Saturday their lockdown restrictions for vaccinated people across most of the country, three weeks after reimposing strict rules to combat a rising wave of COVID infections. The rules, which vary by region within Austria, largely allow for the reopening of theaters museums, and other cultural and entertainment venues beginning yesterday. Shops open today. Some areas are reopening restaurants and hotels. Others will wait until later in the month. In all cases, there will be an 11 p.m. curfew for restaurants. Masks will still be required on public transportation and inside stores and public spaces. Let me ask you this question, just to make you think a bit. In the middle of all of this, all of these very frequent mask mandates, social distancing, even total lockdowns or partial lockdowns, even wearing masks outdoors. Why are the numbers of infections continuing to climb in various areas? Why do we only hear about the infection statistics? Do you ever hear anybody talk about the deaths and compare the deaths over a period of time? No. Politically, that doesn't work, so they won't do it. Do you know the news bears numbers, the adverse reactions from vaccination, from shots? The new one that came out this morning. Let me give you those numbers. Let me go right to it. Hang on just a second. I pulled it up for you. This is effective through December the 3rd. Now, these are... Actual incidences of medical issues, including death, that happened not as a result of COVID-19 itself, 
but as a direct result of vaccinations. As of December 3rd, since last this January, January 1st this year, 19,886 people have died from the vaccines. 102,857 hospitalizations, 104,000 additional cases of urgent care, 148,000 new doctor office visits, 8,400 cases of anaphylaxis shock, 11,896 of Bell's palsy, 3,230 miscarriages, less than 10,000 heart attacks, but close, 16,918 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, 32,644 permanently disabled. Do you notice anything odd about that? What's at the top of this report every week when I give it to you? The numbers of deaths. Do you know that over the last two months, the reported deaths total on the VAERS report have stayed below 20,000? They've been in the 19,000 range for two months. Now, let me ask you, we don't hear about these stats. You don't hear about the COVID deaths. You'll get a number, uh, just an overarching up there number. But they don't break it down, and they don't do any comparisons, and they don't tell us how many deaths that they're reporting are actually with a death certificate that says the official cause of death is COVID-19. Why are they not giving us all the facts? Well, they don't want us to think about the fact that deaths are on a major decline in number. What they want us to think about and what they make us concentrate on is the number of cases that come out. Do you understand what determines what's a case? A PCR test. Do you know how unreliable the PCR test? Did you know that four months ago, the CDC announced that they were, at the end of the year, going to stop using PCR tests, period, for the determination of COVID-19? Do you know that those tests can be manipulated very easily, and it's based upon the way each of those PCR tests are used when they're given to people? Why hadn't more people died? Why are we still hung in the 19,000? I'm not looking for more deaths. What I'm trying to understand is why aren't more people dying since they tell us every day the sky is falling, we're going to all die because cases are going through the roof in some areas in the country. Not deaths, cases. Mild symptoms of this disease, folks, are the exact same ones as the flu. Have you heard anybody talk about the numbers of flu cases so far this flu season compared to that last year and the year before? Did you know that flu is down 90% since we started first diagnosing COVID-19? Do you know what that really means? Flu is dying. Flu is dying. Literally, it's being stamped out. That's good news, right? Well, it's being just replaced by the official designation by the CDC in 
and the protocol of hospitals all across the United Nation that come from the CDC. In other words, folks, Joe Biden, who failed to kill COVID-19, which he promised to do in his campaign, obviously, Dr. Anthony Fauci stamped out totally the flu. It's gone forever. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me the money! To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your carts! Get set! Yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. Just listening to Pete Moss, what he just said about, you know, some just wanting to be nice and others saying, ah, we're not going down that road. We're just going to stick with the truth. That just makes me wonder. I do sometimes. A lot of these people that are in politics are good people. In fact, I think, don't know for sure, because I know quite a few, but I don't know what I would consider to be many people that are in federal politics. But the ones I know pretty much are, are nice people. They're good people. They, they like us, they seek facts, and they give us information based upon what they can discern. They're in a position to have access to far more truthful information than can I, at least at the national level. Sometimes we get it. In fact, I'm confident to say most of the times we do find it, but it takes much longer, and we have so many more hoops to jump through than do they. But nevertheless, 
Why do our leaders in Washington, D.C., in large part, refuse to do the deep dive? And they just accept what whoever that is chosen to be the purveyor of facts and information in their political party, that's what they listen to and they just make it factual. Assume that everything they're hearing is absolutely fact, when in many cases it's not. And the sad thing is, is that later on we find out often that because they refuse to dig in and find the truth and make decisions based upon things that they may at the time believe are true and could have found out they weren't true, but create legislation and policies they cram down the throats of the people and people die, businesses fail. We spend billions and billions and billions of taxpayer dollars needlessly and how do they handle it when it's been when it's exposed later or they find out later it's not true? Oh well, we'll try something else. I think Americans are a bit tired of the uh, just try something else. And the 900 pound gorilla that hangs around during this administration is illegal immigration at the southern border, folks. Joe Biden has split his britches on this. He's in deep trouble. Do you know that what he is doing and what he is allowing, and not just allowing, but instructing those who work in his administration to do regarding illegal immigration is a violation of the Constitution, and it is all over it written to be the perfect scenario in which to impeach a president. Joe Biden has no authority to let one illegal come across the southern border. Period. Not one. Alejandro Mayorkas, who told Border Patrol and ICE agents, stop the process of deporting illegals that are caught when they come in here. That's in direct contravention of established federal immigration laws. Mayorkas should be fired immediately. Joe Biden should leave office. But our problem is if he goes, we're stuck with Kamala Harris as president. I can't imagine a scenario that would be worse than the one we're living in right now. But I'll bet you, based upon what I see that she does and doesn't do in her vice presidential life, she would be way worse than Joe Biden. We're in a hard place, folks. I don't see how this nation survives three more years of this. I really don't. But let's go back to the Border Patrol stuff. Yuma, Arizona is a hot bed for these illegals. It's not as big a town, a big a city as, a, as is a McAllen, Texas. It's not, but it's still a good-sized city. Their mayor is really concerned about the recent crime surge that the illegals coming in at this particular point of all places is doing. Here's the mayor of Yuma. Arizona deploying the National Guard to help combat the state's spiraling crisis at our southern border. The mayor of Yuma also declaring a local emergency as thousands of migrants have flooded the city within just the last five days. And he joins us now with the latest on the situation on the ground. 
Mayor of Yuma, Douglas Nichols. Mayor, um, it's so great to have you on the show. First of all, Merry Christmas and, and welcome. I have many friends in Yuma and they have been telling me for a long time that things were going very badly, but it seems like um, there's a new low um, in the crisis. So tell me what's happening and, and how your community is dealing with it. Well, we're currently in some unprecedented waters here. Um, up to this point, this last year, we had a very contained um, situation. War Patrol and ICE were able to work with some nonprofits and bring people through the system without really a whole lot of impact to the community. Well, last weekend, we had the, those 6,000 people came um, over the four-day period, which overwhelmed the Border Patrol system. And so people were waiting at the border for Border Patrol to pick them up for almost a day, day and a half. And so they just started walking through town and doing what they need to do, take care of humanitarian issues, water, food, shelter, uh, on their way to try to find the Border Patrol station. So that really caused the community a little bit of chaos, but really what the purpose of the of the declaration is to make sure we're not the epicenter of a humanitarian crisis that could be quickly developing. Mr. Mayor, based on your calculation, why is this happening? Why now, why this many? It, it's a little bit um, of, a, of a mystery, but I think it's related to the re-implementation of the uh, Remain in Mexico policy which is a bit of a misunderstanding. That policy has been dramatically changed on its implementation. And so when it is fully implemented this, this next week, it'll only provide uh, room for 10 people a day out of the Yuma sector. So it's not gonna dramatically change what we've got going on here because that's about 1% of the traffic coming through. But I think it's that panic of trying to get in the country before that, that, was, that program goes back into effect. Mayor, you've declared the local emergency, you said, to get ahead of what could be a humanitarian crisis, a burgeoning humanitarian crisis. What does that look like in your town? Well, uh, right now we've been very fortunate because since I've declared, the numbers have dropped and it's more manageable for Border Patrol. But should have they stayed at that level, um, you would have had hundreds, potentially thousands of people at a time that were looking for water, looking for food you know, walking uh, through our community, but not just the city itself, but the surrounding agricultural areas. And so that's very important for us to make sure that those things don't happen because of the ancillary impacts, impacts to our healthcare system, impacts to just, you know, the, the general um, humanitarian issues that arrive when you have that many people without resources. Yeah, wh where, where will they use the restroom? Sanitary, sanitary issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't imagine all of a sudden an influx of thousands, how you deal with that. That's one, that's one problem, and that's a big one. Yeah. Yes. And this time of year, while we're in the desert, it drops. Uh, Rachel might remember this. It drops really cold in the middle of the night. Um, and during the day, it's sunny and great, but in the middle of the night, it's below freezing. And we're talking little kids, we're talking elderly people, we're talking people that are at risk, and, and we don't want to see that happen either. Yeah, well, sure. your call for help um, hopefully will be heard. We, uh, you have two Democrat senators who now say they want something to be done about it. So maybe, maybe something will be done, maybe not. We'll see. Have you noticed how when we get these local and state officials on the air and they're talking about what they are seeing on a daily basis regarding illegals coming in, do you hear the panic? Do you hear the sense of frustration in every one of their voices? Their frustration is because of one thing and one thing only. This president on his watch 
has totally destroyed all of our federal immigration laws and has just torn them up and thrown them away. He's instructed everybody down line from him, which includes even the FBI. Hands off. Hands off. Why is all this happening? It is political. There is no longer any question about it. And it goes back to this. They, the Democrat parties, they're sure at this particular point they are going to be pilloried next November in the midterm elections. They're not only going to lose control of the House, I predict they're going to lose in a major way. Instead of the five-seat majority held right now today by Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, Democrats control the House by five seats. It's a 50-50 split in the Senate, and all ties are broken by a Democrat, Vice President Kamala Harris. I see a, a landslide in the House and a pickup of at least six seats and the U.S. Senate, which is going to make drastic differences in the way this government runs. But back up to where we are today, that's a year away, folks. Look what's happened in just 11 months under the watch of this president. We have seen our economy destroyed. I mean, folks, on November 3rd, Election Day last year, our economy was soaring, and we had COVID-19. We didn't have any vaccines at the time, but our economy was growing in leaps and bounds to levels never before seen in every sector of our economy. Americans were feeling good about themselves. Yes, we had plenty of crime. We had illegal immigration, but the Trump administration had dropped it to a trickle. Principally, the coup de grace was that remain in Mexico policy that the Trump administration negotiated with Mexico. That keeps people that want to make asylum claims here, that keeps them across the river, the Rio Grande River, waiting for their asylum claim to come up to appear in court, in immigration courts here in the United States. That, of course, is just one thing that Biden tore up and threw away. He just, he impugns the rule of law totally, and he is a lawyer? I just don't understand it. And what's frustrating to me is more government leaders are not doing anything. You hear the gripes and the complaints coming from these sheriffs of these towns and cities, but folks, their hands are tied by the political leadership above them. Mayor's offices, governor's office, one governor that has taken the bull by the horns on the transmission, the moving around the nation of these illegals that come in as the Biden administration is most times during the middle of the night moving these illegals on buses and chartered planes to towns and cities across the nation. One location that's really getting more than their fair share of these, uh, fair share of these illegals is Florida. So Tucker Carlson over the weekend talked to Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida who is accomplishing probably more than any other government, any other governor in any state to get a handle on the illegals that this federal government, this administration is dumping in his state. Here's Tucker and DeSantis. The Biden administration has opened America's borders to the world and pretty much no one is doing anything about it as our democracy evaporates and our nation changes forever. But there are a few states, governors, 
who are doing something to protect their citizens from the effect of mass illegal immigration. And no one's doing more than the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. DeSantis just announced new proposals to stop the flow of criminal migrants into a state. Here are some of them. We have a responsibility to stand up for the rule of law. We have a responsibility to stand up uh, for the Constitution. And we have a responsibility to stand up against an administration that has just decided they don't want to have a secure border. You know, you don't get to make that decision. The laws of our country uh, require us uh, to enforce the law, and, and that's what needs to be done. Well, exactly. You don't get to make that decision if you're the executive. You don't make laws. You have to abide by them. Governor DeSantis is abiding by federal law in the state of Florida. He joins us tonight. Governor, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're a detail man, um, with the one thing we almost never get from politicians. So if you could explain to the audience what exactly you're doing in the state to protect your citizens. Sure, Tucker. For one, any of these contractors that are facilitating Biden's illegal policies by bringing people into Florida, oftentimes flying in at two o'clock in the morning with no notice to the state, anyone who's doing that forfeits the ability to have contracts with state and local government in the state of Florida, and they're going to be responsible for providing restitution to the state of Florida for every single person that they bring. Because when they dump somebody, uh, a lot of costs end up being borne by the state in the future, whether that's education, health care, whether that's the criminal right. justice system. Unfortunately, we had somebody brought from Biden that murdered somebody in Jacksonville just a few weeks ago. Uh, and so we're very concerned about doing that. And we want to basically say, this is not the right decision to be making, uh, to be facilitating, which is basically an illegal human smuggling operation. We're also saying to some of the institutions in Florida, like nonprofits, uh, we're not going to be giving license to folks uh, who are actively helping Biden do this. And so it, we want people focusing on our own citizens. A lot of people do a lot of great work. We've got a lot of people in our state that need help. Uh, and right. we can't just have people who are from foreign countries uh, displacing the needs of our own people. Well, exactly. And it is a massive federally sponsored human smuggling operation. And it's, and it's illegal. What kind of, so you're taking concrete steps that will enrage the White House. Do you anticipate some kind of legal conflict with them? Well, we're already in legal conflict with them. We have a lawsuit against them. I will say uh, they have already switched from what they had been doing as a result of our lawsuit. They had been giving people a notice to report. You come illegally, they give you a sheet of paper, they say, hey, call us and schedule a hearing sometime with no consequences. Well, obviously, that is toothless. They now have shifted to doing what's called a notice to appear. Once somebody doesn't appear, then they are deportable without any additional process. Now, I don't think Biden would deport them, uh, but perhaps when we have a change of administration, you would then be able uh, to return these folks back. So we are locked in litigation there. I have no doubt that they'll try to do something uh, to trip us up. But here's the deal, Tucker. Uh, yes, the federal government's got a lot of authority on immigration. But if they're not doing their job, if they're forfeiting their responsibilities, I just don't think states should be in a position where we're helpless and we can't right. do anything. So we anticipate conflict, uh, but you can't just run away from that and say you're not going to do nothing. The easiest thing for me to do would just be to put out tweets, put out press releases, you right. know, complain about it. 
But I think people want to say, let's do something about it. So I think we're going to have some success. I think there'll obviously be some some uh, uh, things we're going to have to overcome in the courts or whatnot. But that's fine. <coughs> I'd rather be fighting um, to get things done than to just forfeit before we even play the game. Well, that's exactly right. And I think a lot of people are starting to conclude who your governor is may make a bigger difference than who your president is. And I hope other governors will pay attention uh, to what you're doing. Ron DeSantis, Florida, thank you very much. Ron DeSantis. He's not just sitting down there in uh, the state capitol. He, he's not doing that. He's doing something. He's making sure something gets done. Novel idea. A governor of a state does something good that's best for the people of their state, thumbing their noses at the feds who are just arbitrarily doing whatever they want to do in those states without any permission, without even any notification. Speaking of Ron DeSantis, and it's not DeSantis, Dan, it's DeSantis. I'll get that straight. There's um, some new polling that came out over the weekend that is really interesting. It's about the 2024 election. We'll have one in November of 2024, for sure. And in that election, in addition to electing members of the House of Representatives and for the open seats in the Senate, will be electing a new president or a re-election of Joe Biden if he is still president. Well, this poll, it's a pretty darn good poll, and it asks a bunch of questions that uh, I think many of us have been asking ourselves. It was done by Harvard Harris, which is a very reputable polling agency, and it was released over the weekend. The poll asked Republican voters if the Republican presidential primary for the 2024 election was held today, who would you vote for? So according to the poll, a primary with Trump in the mix would be no contest at all, as he leads his closest potential challenger by 58 points, garnering 67% himself. No other potential challenger even got double-digit support. Former Vice President Mike Pence came in second with nine, followed by DeSantis with 8% support. But the race shifts significantly in the event that Trump does not run, rocketing the Florida governor to the forefront with 30% support. In that scenario, Pence gets 25%, Ted Cruz gets 13%, and Marco Rubio 8%. So what about on the other side, the Democrat side? Well, the same poll asked the same of Democrat voters for their Democrat primary. While President Biden tops the list, he does not see even majority support folks. He got only 36%. Vice President Harris follows with 16%. But in a scenario in which Joe is gone, Harris jumps up to the lead with 31% support, followed by Bernie Sanders, Senator from Vermont. 15%. 15%. Pete Buttigieg, 8%. The survey also examined potential Trump matchups in 2024, which found the former president leads Buttigieg, 48% to 37, Harris, 50% to 41. And no, Trump has not yet definitively said if he's going to run for office again. But his former aide, Sam Nunberg, recently said to one news agency that Trump is certainly, certainly considering it, 
and expressed the belief that he will ultimately make the decision to run for office. So speaking of polling, polling for this president is abysmal. I mean, it's horrible. And so a lot of people in the mainstream media have been forced, of course, to come out and support Joe Biden. Chuck Todd, of all people, he, of course, is the host of MSNBC's Sunday Meet the Press show. And yesterday, Chuck Todd actually defended President Biden from his low approval rating. Recent polling numbers in the highest poll that I can find show Biden at approximately 42% on the low side. It's down in the mid-30s. His disapproval rating is over 50% at 52% in the poll that has him with 42% approval. But Chuck Todd pushed the idea yesterday on Meet the Nation that these poor numbers were because of situations that are totally out of the White House's control rather than being largely because of Biden's policies. Here's what Chucky said. It seems as if there's nothing the White House can do to improve their political standings these days. It does feel like every week there's a new poll, there's a new bottom, a new this, a new that, and some of it is out of their control. He added this, his two big promises were to kill COVID-19 and to get rid of Donald Trump. Well, COVID's not behind us. Trump is still lurking, and it's not Joe Biden's fault. On his show, he had a guest, Boston Globe writer Kimberly Atkins store. She suggested that the low numbers could also be due to Biden's inability to address larger issues like civil rights and democracy rather than inflation. She said it's a convergence of a whole lot of things. You have this pandemic that we can't get behind us. You still have people who are struggling economically. Joe Biden also campaigned on a big, broad agenda of addressing civil rights, getting people back on their feet after this, this big, broad package. But even after these packages have passed, there's still this constant threat to democracy that we keep talking about. She also suggested that most of the issues causing Biden's low numbers are not his fault. (laughs) But instead, they're because of Republicans refusing to compromise with his agenda. No, 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 no. He doesn't believe in compromise. He has no compromise. There's no compromise in him. He he states that in his mouth all the time. Y'all just need, we got to stop this stuff. We've got to stop this evil on the part of the other party. They've got to get on their knees and bow to me and just do what we tell them to do. I guess that's the new definition of compromise in this Democrat party. And it's not getting any better. And by the way, have you heard the latest poll numbers for Congress? That same Harvard-Harris poll was released with another section, and it asked respondents, do you approve or disapprove of the way Congress is doing its job? Just under one-third of the voters, 32%, approve of the way Congress is doing its job. 60% disapprove. 
Of those, 33% strongly disapprove. Only 10% of those who approve of the job performances strongly approve. The numbers, they show a big drop from the 54% approval rating Congress saw in June of this year. However, the Democrat-led House and Senate have been keenly focused with passing a multi-trillion dollar spending package, which the American people do not support, fearing it's going to worsen the economy. Folks, there's no need to fear that it's going to do that. If they pass this Build Back Better bill, it's already passed in the House. And if the Senate takes it up and passes some version of that, you can kiss your economical news, good news, goodbye for a long, long time. The only people that are going to do well in that are the families and those 535 members of the United States House of Representatives in the Senate, their employees, the people in the Biden administration, and hardcore Democrats that have milked the system over the last 25 years to make themselves a treasure trove of money using the American-owned governing process, American citizen-owned governing process to do their own deal and make their own way and make their own money. Ted Cruz, he over the weekend made an, had a, he delivered an amazing speech on the floor of the Senate. Cruz is a great spokesman. Sometimes, you know, I agree with Ted Cruz. Sometimes I don't. I think sometimes he gets caustic gets in people's faces needlessly, but that's just a tactic that a lot of people use. He's a he's a go-getter Republican. He was a solicitor general of the state of uh, Texas and even in several cases pled before the U.S. Supreme Court. He's a bulldog, but you've got to hear what he had to say about Russia and about Joe Biden with Russia. Cruz is up next here at TNN Live. Senators in this chamber, including Senator Markey. That's just a tidbit that you're about to hear. And folks, it'll toast you. Did I get my mic back? (laughs) I apologize. It'll toast you. You're not going to believe what he has to say. You're not going to believe putting it in the perspective of what we're facing right now in our government with Russia and Joe Biden along with Vladimir Putin and Ukraine. Back in a minute. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. 
Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield. And it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Married to the truth, divorced from the lies, fighting for the future. TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Before we finish the show today, we're going to tell you about the show coming up tomorrow. You're going to meet a man named Mark Grinnan. Mark Grinnan. He has been a pastor, longtime pastor, built a huge church in Boston, then became a missionary, flew all over the, the world, third world countries, medically treating all kinds of people successfully, millions of people getting health care they never could in their own countries. And he got crossways with our government, with the medical, the healthcare bureaucracy in this company, in this country. And he's finding out the hard way about the power that is held by the administration and the executive branch in the government. And as we're finding out in the way that they operate and push COVID-19 on the American people, on all of us through their mandates and lockdowns and all those kinds of things. We're finding out just how far this government is willing to go to take control of pretty much every American's lives. This man, Mark Grennan, is being held in prison in Bogota, Colombia. His two sons, who were in operations in the ministry with him, are in jail in Miami, Florida. This is not a new thing. This has been going on for a decade. The war that this federal government, the FDA, the Department of Justice have been waging on him. No charges for anything. No criminal activity. Filing civil suits against him and those who are with him. There's a documentary out on a major network that covers this abysmal thing. We're going to have Articles will have links to this documentary we'll be talking about on a special story that will go live later today. So be sure and come back and get it, but make your plans. Don't miss this show tomorrow. We'll be talking live with Mark Grennan from Bogota, Colombia, from his cell. That's amazing. Meanwhile, there's this Russia, this pipeline thing, this Ukraine invasion that's pending by Vladimir Putin. And over the weekend, Ted Cruz took it to task on the Senate floor. Listen to Senator Cruz. Senators in this chamber, including Senator Markey, know precisely why I have a hold on this nominee. Right now, as we speak, hundreds of thousands of Russian troops 
are massed on the border of Ukraine waiting to invade. Mr. President, this calamitous foreign policy disaster is Joe Biden's fault. This is the direct consequence of Joe Biden's surrender to Vladimir Putin on Nord Stream 2. What is Nord Stream 2? It is a pipeline being constructed from Russia to Germany to carry natural gas. Putin is building Nord Stream 2. Why? To go around Ukraine, because right now Russian gas goes through Ukraine. Putin didn't just wake up recently and decide, decide to invade Ukraine. He's wanted to invade Ukraine for years. He did so in 2014, but he stopped short of full invasion. Why? Because the Ukrainian energy infrastructure was necessary to get the Russian gas to market. Nord Stream 2 is all about building an alternative avenue to get the Russian gas to Europe so then the Russian tanks can ride into Ukraine. But Mr. President, we had a bipartisan victory. Indeed, the senator from Massachusetts supported my bipartisan legislation sanctioning the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in December of 2019. And when President Trump signed that bipartisan legislation into law, Nord Stream 2 was halted that day. Not the next day, not the next week, not the next month. That day, the pipeline shut down. We had won a major bipartisan foreign policy victory. We had stopped Russia. We had stopped Putin. And that pipeline remained dormant for over a year, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the ocean, until Joe Biden arrived at the White House. Joe Biden was sworn into office on January 20th, of 2021. Four days later, January 24th, Putin began building the pipeline again. Four days later. Why? Because the Biden White House made the decision to waive the sanctions on Nord Stream 2 and to give Vladimir Putin a multi-billion dollar gift for generations to come. And in doing so, to set the stage for the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. When Biden waived sanctions on Nord Stream 2, Ukraine and Poland both said it was creating a security crisis in Europe, that it was increasing dramatically the chances that Russia would invade Ukraine. This invasion that we are facing the, the very real prospect of is Joe Biden's fault, but you know what? It is also the fault of Senate Democrats. For two years, we had bipartisan agreement to stop Nord Stream 2, and we succeeded. And when there was a Republican president in office, Donald Trump, I and other Republicans were perfectly willing to hold President Trump to account, to press him to stand up against Nord Stream 2, and he did. As soon as a Democrat got in the White House, our Democratic colleagues decided that partisan loyalty was more important than national security, that partisan loyalty to the Democratic Party was more important than standing up to Russia, was more important than defending Ukraine. And so suddenly we have seen the Democrats in this chamber bending over backwards to avoid stopping Nord Stream 2. Mr. President, I want to be very clear. A lot of discussion about Joe Biden's having a phone call with Putin today. 
Well, that phone call's real nice, but it's not going to stop an invasion. I'll tell you what will stop an invasion. Joe Biden could stop the invasion today by simply following the law and sanctioning Nord Stream 2. And this body could make a major step today to prevent war in Europe, to prevent Russia from invading Ukraine right now by doing what Democrats and Republicans had agreed to do, had done together until Biden surrendered to Russia. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas taking on this president. And at stake, folks, it's not just the people in Ukraine invading Ukraine. Let me make a prediction for you. If Joe Biden doesn't step up on this front and other fronts regarding other things in other countries, like with the nation of Iran and China, I predict during his presidency, we will see Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine. And it will test the resolve and the commitment of our NATO partners to go in. Even though Ukraine is not a member of NATO, that particular geographical location will be strategic for every European nation. I think Iran will test Joe Biden, as I think Xi Jinping will, the leader of communist China, not against the U.S. directly, but in Taiwan by invading Taiwan. That's a wrap on the show today. Do not forget, tomorrow morning you will hear at about 9.30, Mark Grennan on the air live with me, direct from his cell in Bogota, Colombia. Don't forget to check back on the website this evening. We're going to post some links, some stories. He's published some ebooks. We'll actually put links to those ebooks and what he has to say and give to us about American health care will blow your mind. It's Christmas month. Merry Christmas to you. From all of us here at TNN Live, I hope you have a great Christmas season. Lights roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. Folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy if reindeer really know how to fly yes, so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from 1 to 92 Although it's been said many times, many ways Merry Christmas
Yeah. 